Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome to episode 45 of Agitators Anonymous. Meanwhile, back at the funny farm. Lemmy, Lemmy, you died at the right time, didn't you? Got out before all of this madness. Oh, well. Well, anyway, episode 45 is a chat with a very good friend of mine. His name is Nicholas Barker. Um, you should know him from Dimmuborgia, Cradle of Filth, Lockup, Bruheria amongst many, many others. Um, he has played on probably the two biggest selling black metal albums of all time, actually. Well, second wave of black metal, I guess, um, which he never really seemed to have thought about until I mentioned it to him. Anyway, you can hear it all in our chat. It's really interesting and long one, all about Nick's career, um, drumming, where he grew up, um, the old UK scene, all sorts of things, really good. So. Off the top, you can follow me and my rather dull adventures over on Instagram at nemthianga underscore primordial. Um, they're mainly uh, tired polemics and grumpy frustrations, but you can follow me nonetheless um, over at patreon.com slash Alan Averill. If you want to support the show, I post other podcasts, various bonus stuff, the odd extra this and that, discussions, all sorts of other things to try and fend off the apocalypse the sponsors to mention are hate couture 616.com h-a-t-e-c-o-u-t-u-r-e mention the code alan and you will get free shipping all sorts of hateful yet tasteful nasty apparel meaning t-shirts go and have a look go and have a look 
If you are in North America, you can go to www.metalblade.com. 40 years of heavy metal to choose from. Do me a favour, buy the new Dread Sovereign album, perhaps. Uh, Mention the promo code Alan and you will get 10% off your order. And if you are into RPGs, role-playing games, www.lotfp.com. Use the promo code AAAA. And you will get two free books if you order three. Those are the choice of the author. If you're into role-playing games, all that kind of thing, go and check it out. You can find the information that I just read out is on my YouTube channel. This is also a video cast with Nick. So if you want to look at our ugly faces, go and subscribe, share, and look at all the other stuff on my YouTube channel. That would be very helpful. Thank you very much. And like I said, the info of all three sponsors is there on the description. I've also started doing a thing called Call from the Grave. Got to keep busy. The devil makes work for idle hands, as they say. And he's certainly doing a good job on rearranging my grey matter at the moment. But I'm doing this thing called Call from the Grave, which is a bit like the column I'm doing for Zero Tolerance magazine, where I go over the career retrospective of an old band. Um, Mainly a a reason for me to show off old vinyls and T-shirts. So please indulge me and again, go over to my YouTube channel and take a look. Right, let's get into it. I should mention before we get going that Nick has a new band called Borstal. Um, raging, violent, hardcore stuff um, with his friends in a band called Knuckle Dust. And look, it's heavy, heavy, old, hardcore vibes. It's got Chromags, it's got Agnostic Front, it's got all of that kind of stuff, Terror, all that kind of heavy, old, hardcore stuff. And you can go and take a look over at Bandcamp.com. Just put in Borstal HC, Borstal Hardcore, B-O-R-S-T-A-L-H-C dot Bandcamp.com. Go and take a look and have a listen all right, Nick, let's do it. All right, Mr. Barker, how are you? Well, we've been through that already, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, you know, I'm all right. You know, just uh, dealing with the COVID, cabin fever, you yeah. know, the usual. You know, what 2021 has to offer <laughs> yeah. so far. 20, 21 days later or 2021 days later or whatever you want to call exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about this, right? And I was rooting through my seven inches and I found monolith. <laughs> Right? Wow, and so, but I, where I want to start with this is because everyone's a bit sick of the situation that we're in. So I want to talk about music and drums and, and making sure. music and all, all the big, the big career that you've had. And so I have quite a few questions. But the start of it is: is it or is it not catalepsy faces of death? Yes, that that, that was the that that was the demo, and then there was a band already called Catalepsy. Yeah, it's a shit name anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then the, the record company, Vinyl Solution, which um, owned Cacophonous, their A&R guy, uh, Rob Tennant, um, he, he was the one that suggested change it to Monolith. Yeah. And we thought it sounded way better, so we, we rolled with that. Yeah. And so, like yeah. I said, I found the 7-inch there. So the 7-inch... That's the, so the catalepsy became monolith because I remember I had my yeah. mate, my mate had the catalepsy demo, right? Yeah, and, and you were writing to him, and he lived up the yeah. road from me, and he came down with the demo, and he goes, "Oh, this guy, the drummer is messaging me." And then you said, "I think that catalepsy were supposed to play in Dublin with cancer, maybe." Yes, yes, that's correct. That maybe ninety one, is it ninety two? Ninety two. Um, it was supposed to be. I believe it was with Scorn as well, Micaris's um, oh, yeah. side oh, yeah. thing. 
yeah, but um, for some reason, I, I don't think the, the 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 Irish dates happen just because the costs involved. Yeah, yeah. You know, getting over there and you know the the fees involved and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know the deal. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um. We were actually called Monolith at that time. Um. When we signed to Cacophonous, which was owned by Vinyl Solution. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah. Um. We released the seven inch. We recorded an album called Tales of the Macabre, and it got shelved basically. Whatever happened um, to that? Um. Nothing. Um, they just shelved it. Um, I've tried getting in touch with them to get the masters back and a DAT tape uh, because it was recorded on um, quarter inch, eight track. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did we, that three times as well. Yeah, yeah we, 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 we did it totally um, obituary, slowly we rock, world downfall style. Yeah. You know, um, we, we um, recorded the drums on like uh, seven tracks and then we bounced them down to two track stereo. Oh, yeah. So there was room for the guitars and everything else but um yeah i mean we were supposed to go on a european tour with uh, cancer on that one and uh, everything just got shelved um and then you know um around that time i, I joined gradle of filth yeah yeah so that was that that was your first band then was it catalepsy or what did you you must have had one in the end yeah, of the 80s or early 90s then did you yeah i mean i i had a i had a high school kind of like thrash crossover band called systematic insanity <laughs> and uh, actually when we, we played we played the school um, open day and you know yeah. we did like we did like dead kennedy's covers metallica misfits sure yeah. and um we did we did last caress and the moment the uh, the vocalist belted out you know i raped your mommy today yeah. i killed your the fucking the teachers just had a meltdown <laughs> they're like what 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 yeah. <laughs> we yeah. didn't agree to this I think I had. I think I had almost the exact same. Actually, we um we 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 had a little bit of re we had a little bit of relative uh, local success. I mean, we played. Um, we supported Low Mower Death in um, a nightclub when we we're all underage. Low we're all fifteen death, years yeah. old, going to this eighteen and over metal night at the local nightclub in town, and we support. Well, we, we headlined it one time, and we supported Low Mower Death, and we also supported Zentrix at the time, Reanimator. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else did we support? Um, Acid Rain. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, this this was all at the time when you know the UK thrash thing was kind of, you know, doing something. But everyone sounded like Metallica in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, we we used to follow Sabbath around. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they're local guys to us. Um, the Chesterfield Militia got a bit of a reputation because we'd fucking we. We'd beat everybody else up in the pit because yeah. it was a whole gang of us. Yeah. And, you know, we, we were the notorious ones for jumping off the PA, trashing the stage. I mean, yeah. and um, yeah. that's that's basically how I became friends with Andy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we used to follow him around and load load all the gear in for him and they'd, they'd let us in for free. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and then we get then we get pissed and just like kill everyone in the mosh pit. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty much the same. Yeah, so um, yeah, the systematic insanity thing. I mean, yeah, um, I, I want I, I, at that time, you know, I was getting more and more into the heavier, more underground stuff. You know, like at that time at, at school, the end of school, like eighty eight, eighty nine, thrash had just become really commercialized to me. You know, because you know Metallica had signed to a major, so all of the bands were trying to change their sound. You know, we've got to do the Metallica thing. You know, major yeah. label, major label, and you know, history 
dictates that major labels haven't got a fucking clue how to market this music whatsoever. Yeah. You know, so um, at that time, I was getting more and more into like the death metal scene. I was tape trading. Yeah, same, and, same, same, same story with me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just got tired of thrash, you know, the whole Bermuda shorts thing, you know, mm. doing blondie covers and this and it, it just yeah. became like a parody of itself. Yeah. You I know, know, I'm like you, I was into like Frost and Dark Angel and Slayer and Creator yeah. and, you know, yeah. the mid 80s Razor and, yeah, yeah. you know, it, 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 every band that was on Speed Kills, you know, that, that was my Bible. Yeah, same. You yeah. know, um, although Speed Kills too, I did drop a royal bollock when I bought the Living Death album, I remember, yeah, purely based yeah. on the, uh, on, the on the Arctic. Yeah. Before hard. he had hike. <laughs> A hard band to get into. A vocals always did my head in a bit on Living Death. They're a bit yeah. too, sort of like a 14-year-old girl or something. Very, I couldn't exactly. get it. Exactly. Yeah, so, you know, basically, like, the end of my high school years, you know, I was getting more and more into the de underground death metal. And then I left school, tried to get a death metal band going, Catalepsy. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, we we just missed the boat, you yeah. know, on that new, that first wave. So by the time, you know, I'd got a record deal in like 91, 92, you know, death metal was already kind of like fizzling out, you know, everybody sounded like suffocation and cannibal, you know, and yeah, yeah. it's like, and then um, it, as I carried on tape trading, then, you know, all of this black metal stuff was coming through on my tape lists, you know, yeah, yeah. totally. And, you know, go, going back to the old, like mid eighties, you know, wearing the makeup, King Diamond, Merciful Fate, you know, early Sodom. Yeah. And, I totally related to it because it's like, wow, this is, this this is going back to what I loved about thrash yeah, yeah. in the beginning. The you know? old like, thrash, yeah, yeah. Exactly, like there was like an element of mysticism to it, and you know, it was slightly intimidating, you know, with the studs and the nails and the, yeah, yeah. you know, and that that's you know, I kind of that's how I, I started following like black metal, and then um, obviously the cradle dev. The Cradle demo, the last Cradle demo was doing the rounds and everybody was raving about Total Fucking Darkness. And I remember yeah. when I heard it, I, I, I did nothing like it before. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like a combination of like, you know, it had like elements of early Sabbath, Hell, you know, Fate, King Diamond, Frost, Hellhammer. And, you know, it just, yeah, it just, I, I loved it. And then um, through the tape trading, you know, I got talking to the guys and, you know, we knew each other. Yeah. Ironically, actually, funny story. In Monolith, um, so Monolith, we opened for Cannibal Corpse on the Tomb of the Mutilated tour with Anathema. Oh yeah, and we did the whole, we did the whole UK run apart from the Marquee, which Cradle of Filth uh, opened. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, so yeah, we were friends, you know, through the tape trading stuff and all that. And then um, Carl Stokes um, had a serious motorcycle accident. On oh, the yeah. eve of um, a cancer tour, early '93, which I was supposed to be drum teching on, and um, he asked me, he said, "Look, I I'm fucked. I, I mean, he was in traction. I mean, he was all like fucking. Yeah. His whole body was in a cast. Oh yeah, yeah. So he asked me to he asked me to drum for fill in on the tour, which I did with the Cerebral Fix and Gamora, I believe. Oh yeah, Gamora. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, oh, Jose. Yes, Jose. Jose. Jose yeah. Sven, bless him, rest in peace. He was a good yeah. lad. Yeah, he was all right. Yeah, he was a good chap. Yeah. Um, so I ended up uh, playing the drums on that. And um, we did a, an all-dayer in Wrexham at the Memorial Hall. Oh, yeah. Uh, back in the day. And it was Cadaver was on there, Red Harvest. And basically, it was just two package chores joined together. And 
the promoter said, fuck it, let's make it an all-dayer. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the first time I met Danny and Cradle, and um, it was pretty much, you know, oh, come down, you know, come down to Suffolk and uh, hang out, and we're going to re be recording an EP, and would you be interested in, like, helping out with the productions? Yeah, great. Got down there, um, you know, um, and uh, the, the drummer just had red light fever. I said, look, you know, I can do this if you want me to. And right there and then it was a done deal. Is that really, that's how, kind of how know. you went down, you went down to help mm -hmm. and then ended up just kind of like, just taking the, yeah. really, wow. Well, the, um, they, they, they ditched the, um, they ditched the session after the drummer was having red light fever mm. and um, they totally ditched the session. And, you know, um, we talked, you know, um, within two days I was down there with my clothes, my drum kit, and we were we were rehearsing for what would be the principle of evil made flesh. Yeah, and that was done in the. Um, I have many like fond memories of that old academy, that old crazy academy that like kind of. There's no heating in the fucking <laughs> damp. <laughs> and, and Bob's chippy across the road, you know. Oh God, yeah, everything fried in beef dripping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all right. I won't molest you. His daughter. Like, <laughs> With the the bat the battered fucking kind of cod sandwich that would make its way through oh. the, through the bag. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was just I, like saturated with like a pound of fucking beef dripping, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. But those were some great memories of those old academy studios. But you, absolutely, that, that was that was that your first time going to so academy and working with the proper like with mags and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, we were we were. We were thinking about studios. Where could we go and do this? Mm. And um, I, I actually—it was me that said, "Like, why don't we use Academy?" Yeah, you know, yeah. Anathema, My Dying Bride. Every, you know, everybody uses it. Yeah, and um, you know, it, it's cheap. You know, it's it's in the country. Yeah, you know, they you know they know this type of music. Yeah, and, um, and so I, let's yeah. let's do that. And um, yeah, we went up there. Uh, I think it was like two weeks. And, um, you know, Darren White came over and dunk. Yeah, yeah. You know, Darren, Darren laid down some uh, some vocals for us. And, um, yeah, it was a great time. I mean, back then, you know, we were all young. I was barely 20 years old. We're all on the dole. Yeah, it's yeah. all for one and one for all. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we scrape enough money, like we can, right, we can either buy food or we can buy an eighth of dirty soap bar. What's it going to be? Well, why don't we get a teeth the soap bar and I'll just yeah. buy a bag of spuds and yeah, yeah. We'll just make some chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's what it was like. Yeah. Well, I might remember going there in 94 to remix the first Primordial album and we'd recorded the same kind of nonsense. We'd recorded on a quarter inch reel by accident. We didn't know. Yeah. On two eight tracks, trying to bounce things, no outboard equipment, nothing. We were using yeah. a guitar pedal for like uh, sort of for delay. Only one go at the vocals because he couldn't figure out how to drop in. So right. I said, we signed a cacophonous. Neil goes, right, uh, we need to remix this piece of shit. I was like, okay. So I got the, the ferry to Wales and the train to meet Neil and Neil. No such thing as getting on a flight. And we had to hire no. a quarter inch real machine and carry wow. the train up to Leeds and then wheel our way through Leeds somewhere in, at like at night on a Friday night with it like a dressed, you know, with fucking trench coats and stuff. Yeah. With a, with a huge metal case, getting abuse from people. And then Neil had us booked in to stay in like a squat. So it was just like an empty building. We're in the middle of winter. 
where we stayed for like three or four days with like dirt on the beds and <laughs> all sorts of stuff. No heating. No, nothing. And we had to hook up this tiny little machine with this little thing and hope that Mags could figure out how to transfer this onto a proper real machine. And he's like, some of this is in mono. Like, what have you been doing? And we're like, we don't know. <laughs> we no fucking clue. But it had a it had a thing that old academy, the down the room downstairs, like the kind of spooky room, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was good, good memories there. I mean, you know, it's um, some great times. You know, it's, you know, we were all broke, hungry, you know, but like, that's, that's, that's what made us, that's what makes you who you are today, yeah. you know. But nothing really sounded like that first cradle. I remember getting the cassette tape off Danny and literally, you know, just being blown away thinking like, fucking hell, this has got some raw death metal stuff, but it didn't sound northern and it didn't sound southern. You know, yeah, yeah, um, it's a weird mix because the the see, I played the the blast beat on the cradle stuff. I was inspired by the first Brutal Truth album, all right, okay, that's why it's all on the China in unison, yeah. rather than the kind of alternating Norwegian style, you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, the machine gun, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, rather than doing the 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 the, the alternated um, Norwegian way, um, and yeah, it, we because because we um, the, the the Norwegian scene was still new, and we were in touch with it, and we we, we liked it, um, but we came from a different. See, we weren't Scandinavian. Yeah. You know, all of our all of our influences were more more like British. You know, Sabbath was a huge influence. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and um, also early at the gates, yeah. you know, Diamond Fate, you know, that that was, you know, Hellhammer Frost. That was kind of our thing. And, you know, obviously Danny's subject matter and everything, Byron, Shelley, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it had, it had a different take to the, the Scandinavian scene, you know, because, you know, we, we're, we're a different culture. Yeah, totally. You know. And we, we totally grew up in a different way of life. I mean, there's no real sex, drugs and rock and roll culture in Scandinavia. Mm. Whereas in the UK and the US, yeah. we kind of, both, both both the UK and the US, we kind of created that whole... Sex, drugs and asbos. Sex, drugs and asbos, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and plus, you know, we were we was really into like death metal as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it shows on the album... But then it sort of, um, I, it, totally, it totally does, yeah. But it must have been then um, to be right at the centre of that when it started to explode. Um, yeah. Being quite, you know, ready for that or have expected it. Because I think even at the time, Neil was just, I suppose, quite shocked at how quickly it just gained traction, you know. Well, we um, we actually recouped on pre-sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was a big thing. And at the time we were like thinking, wow, so that means we're going to see some checks soon. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but base, basically, um, you know, uh, the, the movers and the shakers, they used all the Cradle of Filth money to, to sign other artists and build the label. Yeah. And that's how we got into the big legal wrangle, you know, later on. Because uh, Dusk, as you know, was going to be the second album. Yeah. But because we'd not been accounted we'd not seen any statements or any money yeah. from yeah. the first album, which we knew had recouped. Yeah. You know, we held on to the masters and said, look, pay us, show us, give us our statements, you know, you know, everything you, you're in breach of contract. We, we just want what's ours. We're not asking for anything more. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. we know this recouped on pre-sales. So where is our money? 
Yeah. You know, yeah. so we withheld their masters and then the big legal wrangle ensued. Mm. Um, and basically to get out of Cacophonous, we recorded Vampire. Yeah. So which meant but just to go back a couple of months, was the tour with the tour with Emperor was uh, just after the album came out or for the demo? Remember the little you No, that was um, the album wasn't even out then. So it was just we'd, before, we'd, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we'd not even recorded it. Um the Emperor tour was in Ju July and we weren't in Academy until September, October. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. So we were playing, we were playing all of the TFD songs, yeah, but also playing them, um, you know, three or four songs that were going to be on principle. You're right, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Midnight Sky, that's like what nine minutes, you know. We played that um, principle. Forest whispers my name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, but um, I mean, we were we were opening for Emperor too, so yeah, we yeah. only had like forty minutes. Yeah, yeah. you know, but uh, it was a good time. So I remember, I remember it vividly, <laughs> like back at Darren White's place in Liverpool. Just I, I slept on the street actually and tried <laughs> to fight the milkman in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we we used to go to lots of those gigs as well. Um, uh, like and get the ferry, as I said, across from like uh, Dublin to Wales, and then get into the night ferry, and then at eight in yeah. the morning you get the train, and so you just like you know push your way through, just fucking skag your way through all day to just get to the show, and then it'd be back yeah. to sleep in the you know bus station, and then make your way all the way back across to, back to Dublin. So we, I remember <laughs> seeing, I remember seeing you with um, you played with um, in fucking who was it with? Hakati enthroned an esoteric maybe in 93, 94. In, right, okay. Um, the paper mache goats. Head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that thing, yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that, must be, that must be 93, is it? Yeah, I think it was. Because wasn't it the Dublin Castle? Yeah, yeah, that's that, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Mike, he, he, he didn't pay us for that gig either. Listen, come on. You know, he, uh, he uh, fucking, he did a runner with the money. Yeah, of course. Well, you want to kind of be him, Nick? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, used to stay, we, used to stay, we used to stay in his house and everything. And we'd, basically, we'd just be like sitting or lying underneath the kitchen table and all sorts of mayhem just unfolding around. And shit, shit everywhere, yeah. yeah giving yeah. a can of beans and three cans of beer. <laughs> but yeah, they were they were kind oh. of exciting. They were kind of exciting days as yeah, well. Because we yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, because the scene was new then. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, the whole, all of the controversy had just broken. So there was this real, like, like I said, like mysticism and like yeah. intrigue and like, whoa, you know what I mean? Because at that time, the only other genre of music, which I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, um, that was killing each other was all the gangster rap. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was true, gangster yeah. rappers and then these white self-harming kids from Scandinavia. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That you know had personality defects or whatever, you know. So that so then but, the, first, the first European tour then is what? Is it Anathema and at the gates in '94? Is it maybe? Yes, yeah, January '94. What happened was um, Anathema. They needed they they. I think it was supposed to be Pyogenesis were opening, oh, yeah. and they pulled out or something. Yeah. Something happened anyway, and they were looking for an opening band, and you know to ride on the bus. Yeah, yeah. Blah blah blah. You know we can't pay you but you, you, you'll get fed and watered and you've got a place to sleep at night. And we were like, uh, well, Paul, I, mean, I think Paul Ryan, the, the Ryan brothers were kind of reluctant at first. 
And I said, look, this is a great promo tool to, to you know, to ex to work the, the new album that wasn't out yet. I think it was coming out in April that year. Mm. This tour was in January. Well, at that time, I think the only black metal that, that Europe had seen was the Enslaved and Immortal tour. I think the Fuck Christ as well had been there, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes, that exactly. might have been it, yeah. Yeah, but it was like, you know, this type of music was still very new and very fresh. Yeah, in, on, on the continent then, and you know, of course, everyone had read all of the um, the, the media reports about the, the murders and the arson attacks. So when we opened up on that tour, I remember it was a very mixed reaction at first. The first couple of songs, people saw the makeup and like, oh, yeah. these guys are fucking Nazis, you know, like those guys from, which you know, come on. Yeah. Anyway, by the end by the end of our set, I mean, we totally won them over. Yeah. yeah. No, and um, it was really a great, a, a great um, promo tool for pushing the new album that was going to be released. Yeah, and it did great. Yeah, I mean, rock hard, metal hammer, all of the German mags really got behind it and were like, "Wow, yeah, this this is this is black metal, but it's it's different. Yeah, it's not it's not like what the Scandinavians are doing. This is it's got its own niche. It's yeah. you know, it, 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 yeah, it's it's different." And then, you know, obviously, you know, we, we were influenced by, inspired by Anathema and MDB as well. That's why we had those kind of really yeah. melodic, doomy parts, as you, sure. you'll you know. Yeah, we, um, we there's something which, you know, the, the Scandinavians didn't really have that kind of thing. No, no, there's a sort of, there's a sort of kind of a, a little dash of misery that goes with most of the music. Exactly. That sort of Midlands across into Ireland kind of area, this gloom that permeates, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, part of recording and working at Academy, you know, that brings that out even more, you know, because <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that's, you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you remember just like you get up in the morning, I have nothing to do with for singing. So you just walk around to the, the you know, the spa around the corner and every morning would just be scenes of domestic violence outside. Just fucking people fighting. Oh, yeah. Kids throwing yeah. stones at you with bags of cans. And yeah. walking into a local bar would be like darts would stop in midair. Oh, would, God, yeah, yeah. Like, like the sport of so, yeah. <laughs> You made me miss. <laughs> yeah, brutal, brutal stuff. Some some gloomy place, but yeah, it's but that whole because then the, the 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 Scandos had this cold sound, I guess geographically. Southern bands yeah. that warm sound, the Rotting Christ, Varathron. But in the middle, and especially in the UK and Ireland, there is this kind of air of kind of sodden melancholy and sort of that kind of thing. Yeah, is that the right word? Yeah. sodden. No, but you know. Yeah, what I mean. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very melancholic. Yeah. And so then we go to then was the vampire was the sort of compromise that was the, that was our get out of jail free card yeah that's actually <laughs> one of my favorite uh, cradle things going back to listen to is it's, it's, it's mine too it has mine a really too. great energy to it you know yeah i mean by that time it was a different lineup i mean we were broke as fuck yeah you know i mean we were all on the dole yeah um you know cacophonous they had they hadn't um they hadn't accounted to us or anything and we knew that there was money there yeah and um it was, it was i mean but at the same time, even though we were broke, we were happy and we were all yeah. united. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we all had the same vision for the common goal, you know. And yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it's that kind of camaraderie and that that um, relationship 
that's what gets you through those hard times, you know. You yeah. kind of, uh, we don't need fucking money. We've got each other. Yeah, you and know? Also, also, you don't kind of miss what you don't have in a way. I mean, yeah, exactly, yeah. People people say to me, you know, things like in, in this situation that we're in, they will say to me, oh, you know, there's other economies here and there. And I'd say to them, look, I at the moment I tour for nothing. I've done it many yeah. times before. I've been poor before. I don't really give that much of a fuck about money to be kind of constantly worried about. Of course, there's some concerns, but to be constantly, people go, oh, you can do it online. It's like, you know what? You can't. It's it's part of it is that human process that is sort of irreplaceable. Yeah. Uh, and, and the sense that, you know, you just, you would have done it for no money. I mean, you, we did for 20 years, so, or, or for, yeah. well, still do. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. so like you don't miss what you don't have in that sense, you know, I, sometimes. You know? Yeah. I mean, right. How I feel right now after this, whole year or so of this pandemic shit i mean yeah. i would not complain one bit if i was in a 10-hour van ride yeah. right now going to a gig no i think I'd, actually, I'd, I'd quite look forward to that as a good solid 14 hours ahead between yeah in pennsylvania it's, and whatever you know i'm like i'm yeah. in totally totally you know it's like 10 hours in a van right now to a gig bring yeah. it yeah yeah you know? one of those one of those ones in the US, you know, where you have to stop in the petrol station and you find the, um, you know, the kind of amphetamine pills with the angriest animal on them. Yeah. yeah. A hornet, hornet versus buffalo or whatever. And you go, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. 14 hours. We've got to push through to whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the truck of speed pills. Yeah. <laughs> They're just called girl. <laughs> My favorite one was called had a hornet on it. Like which right. just, <laughs> that's got to be good for you putting something which has a horn and advertising it uh, in here, buddy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It's um, I, I really, I mean, you know, being being having an eight-hour layover in an airport right now, I, I, I'd welcome it with open arms. I hear you. I hear you. You know. So then we go on to um, this is the kind of the when then the move to music for nation and then cradle kind of explodes, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, what happened, you know, we, um, we, okay, so we got out of the cacophonous contract. We mm. delivered Vampire. Um, we got the master tapes for Dusk. Um, we'd gone, they put us in the studio, in UB40 studio, actually, in Birmingham. It's not there anymore. Wow. Yeah, in, in Digbeth. Great studio. And I got to say, the UB40 guys are some of the coolest dudes I've ever met. <laughs> you know, and really, really nice people, you know, super hospitable. Mm. We got a good deal on the studio because uh, we actually went back there uh, for for uh, cruelty. Yeah. So we we uh, we remixed, well, actually re-recorded. The only thing that's stayed from the original um, recording of Dusk is the drum tracks. Everything else got wiped. Yeah. And we just built it up from the drum tracks. Yeah. Onwards. Um, and um, so that was delivered. MFN. They really really pushed us. I mean. Mm. It it just seemed to blow up overnight, Alan. You know, yeah, yeah. it was no, it was everywhere. Front, you yeah. know, yeah. From the moment we signed the contracts, the next thing the album's out. The next thing, you know, we've got to do MTV live in the studio. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Like Headbangers Ball interview, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then the first tour we did for the album was actually Opeth supporters. Oh yeah, I saw, yeah yeah yeah. I think I might have seen that in London. Maybe I'm not sure. I know I saw yeah. Opeth and Ye in London in maybe 90, no, hang on, 96? Yeah. No, that would be, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, 96. Um, so, yeah, and the, the tour went great. I mean, we were doing 
we were doing signing sessions like every other day, you know, like mm. at Virgin Megastore in Paris, you know, HMV in Amsterdam, back when, you know, record stores existed. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. I mean, but everything was happening so fast and we were young. Yeah. And um, looking back, I mean, you know, when you're 22, 23, it's really hard to, you know, well, we didn't even know the industry really back then either. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it was just like a continuous party stroke holiday. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's only as you get older that you all know as well that you start to understand the business. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, uh, this and this and this, and you start questioning things. Yeah. You know, but I mean, once money and fame came into the equation, yeah, and that's when certain people's attitudes started to really change and you know then they became a division management you know management came in on the crest of a deal they didn't do anything and they took 20 percent straight off the top yeah. of our advance for yeah. doing nothing the, the deal was already in place yeah and then um, they basically saw danny as like okay we're going to market him as like the uk's marilyn manson great you know stroke rob zombie yeah. hence him changing his name to danny filth mm. you know and uh, that that was kind of I could see how it was going, you know, they, it wasn't, they, they weren't really managing the band as a whole. They were managing him yeah. and we were like, you know, the disposable heroes, if you like. Yeah. But, but then, you, but then, but it still gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then sure. you come to cruelty, which is just basically, I think at this stage, Cradle Filth is almost like household names. I mean, even yeah, yeah. people, people well, are, everybody knew. Well, we were on TV, you know, I mean, we're on like children's TV pro. My, my step parents are aliens. You know, one of the kids is playing Cradle of Filth. You know, the BBC did a documentary on us. Living with, living with the enemy, wasn't it? it was yeah. Like, and yeah. I fucking hated that. I didn't want to yeah. do it, yeah. but I went along yeah. because, you know, any publicity is good publicity. So they say, Yeah, yeah. but you know, it's the typical thing. Whenever, whenever like the BBC or the media try and do like, anything to do with like heavy metal they kind of do it in a mock way where they're kind of like taking the piss out of you because yeah. they they don't take it serious because they don't understand it yeah, yeah you know what i mean and that was the whole angle of the the, the bbc thing and i i just didn't want to be a part of it you know yeah. they, I, they I, wanted to put i think that they wanted to put, comes across all right <laughs> yeah i mean well if you see scenes with me i'm just like i don't want to be here <laughs> you know and uh I got so stoned. I, I had to be sedated 24-7 just to deal with the bullshit, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, they wanted to do stuff like, you know, put fly-on-the-wall cameras on the tour bus. Oh, but we can't have no bad language, no drug abuse. You know, it's like, well, what the fuck? Why the fuck are you here then? This yeah. is heavy metal, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know, what do you think it is? We're all in bed by nine. Yeah, yeah. Tim with, like, you know, a nice hot Horlicks. Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of, you know, they always do it, you know, whenever any kind of television production does anything related to heavy metal, there's always kind of like that piss-takey edge to it. Like, you know, mm. it's, yeah, they, yeah, and I just didn't want to be a part of it. But it certainly helps, you know, um, raise the profile. And, and what sure. about the first, what about the first U.S. tours? Can you remember going to America for the first time? Well, the first time we went to America was just a one-off in 97 when we played um, the Milwaukee Metal Fest. Oh, yeah, the old uh, I never managed to yeah. make it to one of them. I heard it was a uh, disaster. Like it, well, you know how it is in the States anyway, you know, yeah. compared to Europe. I mean, yeah. 
yeah. they really need to get their shit together, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, we were direct support to Venom, the the the, the original uh, the, lineup, the reformed Venom, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the night before, it was uh, Exodus and SOD. Oh yeah, yeah. But I ended up getting so fucking shit faced. I got, I ended up. <laughs> I ended up getting carted away by the paramedics, and I don't remember. All right, yeah. But, um, yeah, um, and Venom were fucking terrible. Oh yeah, you know everyone. Uh, well, everyone was there to see him because it was the original lineup, yeah. and they had all the production. You know, the bells and the whistles, and it was like it looked great. It, like um, aesthetically, it was like whoa, like like Hammersmith. Yeah, but mate. It, it was like, nah, the sound was... Because it was in an old ballroom, too. Yeah. So it, it's not acoustically designed for, you know, music. Yeah. You know, like this kind of music. Yeah. And, and they, they fucking sounded terrible. But, yeah. you know, it was cool to see. Yeah. I remember the first time, yeah, going to Brazil and like 30, 40 foot high ceilings. And you're going like, what? how? Yeah. That's not the place to put... Uh, exactly you know fucking drums and this is going to yeah. be cavernous and massive and yep that's what it was like and then because it was like straight in and out for the weekend i mean we were jet lagged plus we got busted at chicago because we were smoking weed in the van on the way down to heathrow okay and the dogs totally picked up on the on our clothes yeah yeah and this is our first time in the states and we were like we were like scared rabbits. Like we haven't got any drugs. We haven't got any drugs. Yeah, yeah. So eventually, you know, after the searches and the bullshit, they let us go. But um, I was back home before I even knew it, and it was like, wow, did that week? It can really happen. Yeah, because that was and that was the first time in the states. So then we um we did a, a short run. We we did a short run for cruelty where we just played um, four key shows. It was like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, we we did Mexico beforehand, but we all got sick in Mexico. Oh yeah, first time in Mexico. Yeah, you know the Mexico belly, G or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Gian shat the bed, but he contested it by saying, "Well, technically, shit is solid waste, and that's just liquid." <laughs> Huge streak on his sheets, and the the fucking the cleaner just going nuts and swearing at us in Spanish. He's a funny chap, all right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, the the, the 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 cruelty dates we did in the US were amazing. I mean, you know, when we played San Francisco, you know, all of my Bay Area um, peers were, were there at our show. Yeah. You know, like Exodus, Testament. You know, Rob Thumb was there. You know, I mean, I love violence. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, you know, Steve Esquirrel, Esquirrel from uh, Defiance. He oh, went yeah. on to him. Yeah, you know, the Bay Area. You you played San Francisco. It's a great town. Yeah. Great music town. And um, yeah, that was really special. And uh, New York as well, because, um, you know, Lilka came out. <clears throat> yeah, of course. You know, uh, you know Charlie from Anthrax. Um, yeah, it was just great fun. But, you know, really, really heavy toll on them, on your body because we were flying, it was all fly ins. Yeah. So we'd, we'd fly in a day before, we'd do press, then we'd do the show. And of course, after the show, you want to rage and party. and yeah. So, you know, yes, well, we've, we've got a 5 a.m. lobby call tomorrow morning. So, yeah. And it was just like that for a, for like 10 days. Yeah. But, that's, um, that's when you need those pills with the angry animals on them. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need a shot of grr. <laughs> yeah. Or if, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. And then um, 
we returned from that to Europe. We did a European tour with Gorgoroth and Old Man's Child and Ein Hira. Oh, yeah. And um, that's where I got to meet Froda for the first oh, time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And um, then the late running, then we did all the festivals that year in 98. And then towards the end of 98, November, December, we toured with Napalm and Borknagal. Oh, yeah. And it was on that tour where, you know, I just, it had come to an end for me. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't enjoy touring anymore, being around certain people, um, you know, and I knew things were going on behind the scenes that I had no control of regarding money. Yeah. You know, I mean, we were, we were, we were headlining, selling out like 1,500 to 2,000 capacity venues in Europe. Yeah. But only coming, but only coming home with t-shirt money. Yeah, and also the, I saw I saw you at um, I think is it VAC in '98, and like yes. Cradle was like just from the top, uh, uh, but for Manowar I think wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Manowar was yeah. pretty dire. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I've had this discussion with someone else recently. I love them on record, but I yeah. can't, just can't take them serious live. <laughs> I, but see, I've seen them play. I saw them seen them play two or three times back then in the nineties. I didn't see them in the eighties, obviously. I went. Do you remember they played in London with a uh, Skyclad? Maybe ninety two. Yes. I was I was supposed to go for that, but I had an exam. You know, do the ferry train thing and had an exam and couldn't go. Yeah. Six. So I saw them the first time I think in Italy, and they were great. No talking, just playing. And then Dynamo, yeah. I was like, oh, right, here we go. And then speeches, solo, speeches, solo, song, solo, speeches. Yeah, was, you know, with the greatest of, um, I wanted to love it, but it was pretty yeah. meandering. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, <laughs> that brings me to the, um, the, the our time on tour with Twilight of the Gods when we were having our Man of War sessions and priest sessions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great times. Yeah, great yeah. times. I, I hope we can go back to that sometime soon. Yeah, I think that's what we all have to hope hope for, that there is there's some... Um, I think without without some... You know, even for me, like, a, a, you know, a sort of natural-born pessimist, I still have my optimism that somehow we recalibrate ourselves into finding something that we had before, you know, or else... I don't know. I'm going to have to become a serial. I think I'm going to, have to become a serial killer or a politician. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, be a be a serial killer, please. Okay. Well, maybe politicians. They're almost the same thing, I suppose. Yeah. So that well, that brings the politicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that brings us to about '99, right? So then we yes. we start to get into Dimu Borgir territories, then, right? Yes. So um, how, did, how did that happen? It, well, at the end of the. Um, Cradle, Napalm, Botnagar tour. I mm. decided I was going to quit, and um, I, I said to Shane from Napalm, he's a good friend, as you know. Mm. Um, you know, I'm thinking about knocking this on the head because, you know, there's too many red flags. Um, you know, there's no transparency when it comes to money. Yeah. You know, and it's like just there's just things just aren't right, and I'm not getting the answers that I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, and um, I've just been to oh, you're just the drummer, just go away or smoke some more weed. You know. Yeah. Why do you need to do the accounts? You know, why do you have to rock the boat? You know, very dismissive towards, sure. you know, what are legitimate requests? Of course, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, on that basis alone, you know, I was just like, nah, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, so I went to Los Angeles with Shane for New Year, where I ended up actually writing, co-writing three songs on a, on the Brewery album. Oh, yeah. And I had I had no intention of... Um, going to join Brewery or anything. It just I went there for a vacation to clear my head. 
yeah, yeah. We shamed. We stayed at Jesse's parents and uh, one Brujos, the singer from Brujeria. And, um, you know, it's like, hey, you know, um, have you got any ideas? Or And I had these drum beats, um, which the, the Cradle guys didn't really like. And they ended up being uh, three songs on the Brujerismo record. Oh, yeah. And because, because of my relationship there and my time there during that vacation, um, you know, the guys just said, you're in the band now. That's it. So yeah. that, that was something great for me. But that, that time in Los Angeles, the New Year's Eve, 98, 99, that's when I decided I'm done with Cradle. And at the time, um, I just happened to reach out to Peter Tackgren. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I'm keep this on the down low. Um, I'm, I'm quitting Cradle. I'm looking to join another band, you know, hopefully um, something in Scandinavia. Yeah. If you know of anyone or anything, could you put the feelers out for me? Because, you know, at the time he was like the number one guy producing Enslaved, Immortal, yeah. yada, 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 Marduk. And um, so he said, well, funnily enough, uh, Dimo Borg here are looking for a new drummer. And um, he got me in, he put me in touch with Stian. You know, we, we spoke over the phone and uh, he basically said, well, come over to Norway um, and you know we'll meet up. You know we'll audition, play a few songs, just hang out, get to know each other, and we'll see how it goes. So I went to Norway, and um, pretty much, you know, the first song I played, they they were all looking at each other, nodding their heads. So I, I kind of knew that yeah. I think I've got this. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we went out to Elm Street and got absolutely shit faced, and yeah, you know. And I, at the time, I was a little bit nervous, and you know, like I had my guard up because. So many of the Norwegian bands talk shit about Cradle in the press because they were jealous, you know. It's like they're not even Scandinavian, but why are they the fucking most popular band? Sure, yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> I pissed off quite a few people. It's like, well, what you Norwegians don't understand is black metal comes from Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Stockholm <laughs> and Copenhagen, yeah. not Oslo. Mm. Oh, 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 but we're the second generation. No, but I'm fucking first generation. Yeah. Newcastle on time, baby. Yeah, yeah. You know, and because I'd got my guard up and, you know, I was a little bit, you know, everyone talks shit. And a lot of, you know, in the press, like, oh, if we see those Cradle of Filth wankers, you know, there's going to be war. So I was in Oslo on my own in, yeah, yeah. in Elm Street going, well, I'm here then, so where's the fucking war? Let's have it. <laughs> yeah. You know, being being the Brit hooligan. Yeah, I know, yeah. And they're, they're just not confrontational people, are they? And they're, no. oh, oh. It, it's all in the press. It's, you know, misunderstood, like misquoted. Yeah. And I actually became really good friends with quite a lot of people in the scene and, you know, people that before had talked shit about me. Yes. But, you know, after, after a couple of beers, you know, and this and that, yeah. you know, we're, we're all we're all cut from the same cloth. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, then, so, um, so then yeah, so... Did you move there then, though, or did were you just going back and forth? I, I was kind of going back and forth. Like I'd be there for like two months or a month and I'd come home and I'd go back again. So I was kind of living a double life. Mm. You know, I, I had, um, I, I, you know, I had a, a wife and kid here, but I was also working there. So it was kind of, you know, um, as expensive as Norway is too. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like, you know, a bit of a balancing act, you know, because I've got to make sure my family's taken care of, the bills are paid. But also, I have to live and travel, and you know, just one day just living in Norway is so expensive. You know, just getting yeah. the bus into town and 
but you know, buying lunch, you know, it's a like, holy shit. Yeah. But um, because I joined um, right on the eve of, um, right on the beginning of the Spiritual Black Dimensions touring cycle, we did the world tour for that album. Uh, then at the same time, we were writing the Puritanical record in between Spiritual Black Dimensions touring. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then, uh, what was it, 2000, yeah, September 2000, we went into the studio for Edmund uh, to record it. So and I totally went for the, the triggered drum thing because Hal Hammer did it on Grand, Grand oh, Declaration. Yeah. Really? You know, it's like, I want, I want the, yeah, listen to the first, because they remixed it, haven't they? Yeah. They've done a remix of Grand, Grand Declaration. Well, yeah, the sure. first one. The first one, it's all triggered by B drums. Yeah, yeah. You wanted that? Like, well, I wanted something similar, but not the same sounds. Really? All oh, right. Yeah, yeah. It was that. You know, yeah. It was twenty years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Triggers, and you know, it was all oh this. You know, like now, I mean, I would totally do something different. And um, yeah. what I've heard from uh, Sven from Dimu is that they're actually remixing the Puritanical record for its 20th anniversary this year. Yeah. So hopefully I'll see some residuals from it, you know, but um, I'm, I'm curious to see what they, um, how they've remixed it because uh, yeah, they kind of blame me for making them sound like Pantera. <laughs> but so by my estimation, right, th this must mean that you have realistically played on, let's say the two biggest selling second wave of black metal albums that have been released, which is, um, which is Cruelty and the Beast and Puritanical Misanthropia. They're, they must be half a million each, right? Four or five oh, yeah. thousand each. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So you've, yeah. Played on, you've played on both, like I, in my estimation, probably the two top three selling, two or three selling black metal second wave records that there's been. I think Nightside Eclipse is up there too. I don't think it's as, I think it's more, I think that's at about 200,000, 160,000, right. 70,000. I, I mean, it's a lot, maybe a bit more, but I think Craig yeah. and Dimu is kind of in that bracket above because yeah. it broke so big in America. Um, you know, yeah. when you were selling probably 150, 200,000 in America, maybe. But yeah, I, was thinking about it, I was thinking about it the other day and I was going, fucking Nick has played on, I think, probably the two biggest selling black metal records. What do you think about that? I haven't, I haven't really stepped back and thought of it like that. Um, yeah. I think it's quite an achievement. It's yeah, yeah. something I'm, I'm very proud of, you know. That's what I, it's written here in my notes to fucking mention it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, um, <laughs> now you mention it. Yeah, it's, um, wow. I didn't, I've never looked at it like that, but wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm proud. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, I definitely left my mark on those bands, you know, during my time. So, yeah. And that's what you know, I, was, I thought about. I was thinking about that there um, yesterday when we arranged this to speak. And I was thinking to myself, first of all, find the monolith seven inches and the catalepsy thing and then go, oh, you know, we need to talk about the fact that those two records almost you, you know, that period between 96 and 2000, you had about three, two or three home run albums that sold tons and tons of records. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that, and that's really something, you know, that really is fucking something. You know? Back when back then when people bought records you yeah, know? yeah so yeah but yeah it's um great um you know i'm i'm very proud of what i achieved and um you know looking back now in hindsight when you when you say it like that it's like wow yeah yeah it's um yeah okay. and definitely i mean after my time the the bands the, the the both bands sound changed and you know this and that and so 
yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite humbled by it. Yeah, chuffed, man. But that's what that's why I was thinking about it yesterday. And I was there going, I wonder has Nick really thought about it in those terms, you know, because it is quite something, you know. Yes, yeah, it's um it, it's difficult to reflect on that those kind of things when you know you're cooped up in your apartment on your own yeah. during this bullshit, you know, and then somebody somebody on social media will say, you know, it's because of you that I play drums today. Yeah. You know, and it's like yeah. I've said the same thing to Dave Lombardo and Gene Oldman when I've yeah. met them, you know, yeah. it's because it, I'm here because of you. Yeah, You're yeah. the guys that made me want to do this. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, yeah, and for like, you know, someone like Gene to give me props on his instructional DVD when he could have mentioned any other drummer in the world. Yeah. And he mentions Nick Barker, you know, yeah. it's like, wow. It, I don't... See, I don't... I get, I get weirded out, you know, with people giving me a, a, the adulation and the. I feel embarrassed, you know. Yeah, because, it's a, it's well, a very. Because I know my faults and my weakness. Well, it's a kind of. It's you a you kind know of, what I mean? And like, yeah, it's a kind of English Irish thing. We've, we've kind of people here are, are a little bit different, but they're kind of the same thing. We kind of are a bit uncomfortable with. Yeah, like it feels weird. Praise, you know, you know, I'm just some fucking knobhead kid from some <laughs> working class mining town, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, you know, I tossed it off in high school and, you know, the careers officer came in and what are you going to do, Nicholas? Well, I'm going to um, join a band and tour the world. Anyway, less of the fairy tale, son. Yeah, yeah. And I actually stood up and told him, go and get fucked. The music industry is a legitimate industry, Yeah. you know, because here, and it's, I don't know how it is back where, you know, for you, but, you know, our job prospects here, it was like, okay, you either go in the foundry or the pip. Mm. You know, it was either steelworks or coal mining. Yeah, yeah. You know, unless you were like one of the nerdy kids and like, you know, I'm going to be an IT operator. It's like, what's IT? Yeah, we were sort <laughs> of stuck in, we were sort of stuck in between. There was, I mean, Dublin in the early '90s, late '80s wasn't too far away from that. But obviously, Dublin being the the capital had a, a few more opportunities. But still, most people just fucking emigrated, or you know, yeah. So I spent years on the dole and fucking, you know, trying to make something of music. And it took 15 years before anything kind of clicked into place or 14, 15 years, you know. But yeah, but then you then you faced into the 2000s then still in Dimu and, you know, moving on ahead. Yeah, well, you know, we um, we did some um, really, really good tours. I mean, uh, we went we toured at the US with um, Cannibal Corpse, The Haunted and Lamb of God were the openers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was a great package. I mean, you know, like we were playing like 50, you know, like kind of like House of Blues style places, you know, yeah. uh, 1,500, 2,000 capacity venues. And it was great. We actually played, we actually played in Old Bridge, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, man, the fucking Old Bridge Militia. Yeah, you know, yeah. you've, got to, you've got to do a shout out to the Old Bridge Militia. And of course, the Norwegians didn't get it. Yeah, you know, like, fuck, we're in, we're in Old Bridge, we're in Old Bridge. Yeah, yeah. You know. Proper live on so, that fucking shout out, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, but the, I forget the name of the club we played, but um, I don't think it's there anymore. Mm. But yeah, totally. Like I was tripping on live on dead, and the same thing, you know. When you you play Los Angeles the first time, and you see the the signs on the freeway for Long Beach, you know, and you just think Maiden. Yeah, you know. I remember, I remember the first time we went to uh, play in LA, in LA, and uh, a grumpy guitar player from Mordell, he's just like, "Oh, I can see." You. Dude, all that shit you like, like docking, it makes sense here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, because you know you're from you're from some miserable housing estate in North County Dublin, which is sort of grey and raining and gloomy. And then you get it's like, oh right, there's women in their bikinis in a tiki bar, and there's palm trees and there's sunshine. He's like, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. You know, you you spend any time at the Rainbow too, and it's like you see all the has-beens. You know, like, geez, I mean, I remember, remember, you know, everyone's met Ron Jeremy there, but I remember. Um, I bumped into Rick James before he died there. Really? And I was just like, man, I love your shit. And he's like, thanks, big guy. You know, and yeah, you see you see all kinds of people there. You know, like, I'd seen Chris Holmes there one time. You know, he was a fucking mess. Lemmy was always there. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wow, this this is this is like Mecca of, you know, fucking the L.A. scene. Yeah, yeah. You know, the rainbow. And um, yeah, it's great. But it's funny. The guitarist, mate. I see how you like all that dock and shit now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. totally, makes, totally. It makes, it makes sense here. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. Know. <laughs> you know, like, no. yeah. I love rat. I'm a rat and roller, and I'm proud rat of it. Roller, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. tell Bailoff that he would have killed me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is, isn't it? So then, so then we're moving up to like end of what middle two thousands. You you playing in Buhari as well then, or what's going on? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and the first lockup is when in a few years after that, or around the same. No, period? the first the first lockup came out in uh, 98, 99. Okay, uh, sewer. I was, I, was, I was still in Cradle then. Yeah, but um, management tried shutting it down, saying you can't do any other side projects. And I said, yeah. well, we don't have any written agreement that states that. Yeah. yeah. So you can go and fuck off. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, so we did the first lockup record with Tackgren. Uh, we went over to his place. Um, we make, actually we it was a mix. We, we recorded the music at Andy Sneep's place, yeah, at his old studio, like below his dad's like factory <laughs> where oh, yeah. Sabbath used to rehearse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we tracked all the music there, but then we went over to um, Abyss in uh, Ludvika to um, do the vocals with Pete. And um, yeah, it was great. And then um, we were supposed to, we, we had so many um, offers. We, we'd, we'd even been offered to open for Immortal and Angel Corpse in the States. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, we, you know, Peter was all like, yeah, yeah, I'm all good. I'm all good. But then when it come down to actually applying for the work visas, he's like, oh, I can't do it because I've got the new Marduk album to do. And mm. so we, we, we had to turn down so many um, like offers. Um, so in the end, we just said, "Look, um, we're going to go with uh, Thomas Lindbergh because at the time, you know, there was no at the gates at that time. They were well and truly done. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I've been friends with Tomba since like '91. Yeah, yeah. So it just made sense, you know, to get him in. And then, you know, we did a few albums with him, etc. And during that time, Jesse passed away. Yeah. So then we got Anton in, and you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got fired from Dimu, and uh, for quite a few years, I mean, um, see, it, re- it really hurt getting fired. I'd, I've never been fired before, yeah. so it was a real big dent to my pride and my ego. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so then I, I fell into a little bit of depression, and that's kind of like where my marriage broke down. Um, and at that time, there was no, there, there was no real um, like drumming gigs happening for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I spent like the next eight to 10 years tour managing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I started off tour managing for Metal Easy. Oh yeah. 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 Which, you know, work, that was, I used to work on Metal Easy tours as well, like 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Well, um, you know, that was how I, uh, how I broke my teeth, um, into the TM game. 
And um, yeah, well, you, you know Metal Easy. In the last tour I did, you know, he, he owes me, I think he owes me 3,000 euros. Yeah, yeah. You know, which I'll never see. But um, the, I'm not the, the only one who... Ri- I'm not the, the only one funeral who- tour, was it? No, it was... Um, see, when... When I broke up, when my, when my marriage broke down and then me and my wife had split up, I just totally put all of my focus into work. Mm. And I said, said to Johan at Metal Easy, look, you know, I don't want to go back to England. Can you keep me, just keep me on tour? Yeah. So I literally went from tour to tour to tour. I was in Europe and say, like, um, I tour managed Nile a couple of times, Propane, Hate Eternal, yeah, Morbid yeah. Angel. Uh, and um, I literally like one tour would finish in Barcelona. I'd fly from Barcelona to Helsinki, start mm. the next tour. That tour would finish in like, you know, Milan. I'd fly from Milan to Amsterdam, yeah. start the next tour. It was just, and it was like that for four months. It's hard, you know, hard, just, hard old on on the body and on the brain that, yeah. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed uh, tour managing because, you know, it was that sense of control. I mean, it's a very thankless job. Mm. you know shit runs downhill and like the band blame the tour manager the bus driver blames the tour manager the agent the manager mm. you know and it's um but it's, but it's great it's i did it i did it once or twice but it's a great feeling when it all runs smoothly yeah and the ability you know, to solve problems on the fly is a really satisfying yeah. thing yeah yeah and, you know it, it there it is quite stressful and th- there's a lot of pressure sometimes but you know when when you come up with one of those bullshit obstacles and you know the band are all down there. They're fighting within each other, and you pull pull everyone out of it. And we come through the other side, and they all thank you. And you know you you're the hero of the hour. It's, it's a very good rewarding. Yeah, it is. yeah. And at the end of, at the end of the tour, I, I can honestly say at the end of every tour I did, the money was to the fucking penny, and I made sure everyone got home safe. Yeah. So my job was done. Yeah. And um, throughout my tour. Sorry, do, you, do you feel that you needed a little bit of a break from playing to then get back into it with better energy than when you came in a few years later? Or I think I think so, yeah, because the whole um, the, the, the the whole Dimu and getting fired from Dimu re- re- it really hurt me. It really because I didn't really get a legitimate reason. It's just like mm. we don't want you in the band anymore. It's like, well, you know, usually don't I get like a, a verbal warning or yeah, you yeah. know, can we sit down and talk about this like adults like Okay, yeah. if you want to continue working with us, we have to make some changes or none yeah. of that. You yeah. know, it was just like you've gone by. Yeah. So I felt I felt after the five five years with the band and the two most successful records, I just felt I felt deeply hurt. You know, I thought we were friends and I thought, you know, um if there's if it was really that bad, couldn't we have sat down and talked about it? Yeah, but if you know Scandinavian, they're not big talkers. <laughs> no, maybe not. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It, not, not unless it's like you know four in the morning and the three bottles of vodka in. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah, something similar. Uh, they there's a certain sort of I suppose um, social. What's the best word? I'm not sure how to describe it. There's less of the that sort of problem solving chat banter thing that goes on. Um, yeah, they're little bits more socially isolated, maybe mentally or something. Definitely. It gets just their way. Imagine if you'd been in a Finnish band, hey, no one would have said end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're my favorite. Yeah, yeah. They're my favorites, the Finns, because they're fucking <laughs> absolutely nuts. Oh. The, the, the worst mistake I ever made was trying to trying to keep up drinking with Mika from uh, Impel Nazarene. 
Oh yeah, he he gave me fucking food, alcohol poisoning for three days. Yeah, he's a he did, he did one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, we're playing with Impel Nazarene and thirteen forty nine, and um, he was yeah, you know, or hang on, Mika, he's sitting, you know, talking to me in his little little tiny underpants and uh, <laughs> Donald Donald Duck shoes or whatever he's wearing, and he's just we're drinking whiskey after the gig, and Frost came in trying to eat his bolognese but also hold a cape over over so we couldn't see him. <laughs> so Mika, Mika just goes over just goes over and just stands there in his little Donald Duck underpants. No nothing else on. Well Frost, how is your how is your spaghetti? It is tomato enough for you, do you think? Uh, yes it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. uh, he's yeah he's he, he, drinking with him can um, get you into some trouble that's for sure. It definitely it? did yeah yeah so yeah, back to the, um, the whole <laughs> thing. I needed, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I think I, I needed to go work on the other side mm. of the industry to kind of clear my head and, you know, to kind of take a step back from the playing and, okay, so, all right, you've had a bit bit of time out, you've worked on the other side, um, you know, let's see, you know, what happens. Yeah. And during that time, too, I was doing little bits and bobs with Brewery around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, also recorded another um, lockup album. But yeah. things were quite sporadic, yeah. you know, in the in the late, late 2000s, early 2010s, you know. But, um, yeah, everything seemed to just turn around all of a sudden. Yeah, it seemed um, like then, then you were talking like you were playing, you were helping out Testament. There was Nuclear Assault. You were playing a Nuclear yeah. Assault. When were you, yeah. What else were you playing? I mean, obviously the thing we did together, Twelve of the Gods thing. But were you playing in SOD? No, you weren't as well, were you? Or were you? No. Um, what happened was um, Billy contacted Danny. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, he wanted to do something called United Forces, which was kind of like a spin-off of SOD. Yeah. And then uh, Lilka suggested me and Anton. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'd, I'd spoke to Billy many times. You know, we were all good. And then all of a sudden, it just went cold. I mean, he, he got cold feet, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's something to, like legalities or whatever. But, um, you know, I also went on to play Nuclear Assault. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm still still a part of. Oh, yeah? Um, my, yeah, during my time with um, Exodus, yeah. um, I uh, happened to... Um, I played on one Exodus tour when um, they co-headlined with Overkill. Right. Um, they, they had some downtime. And Tom, had, Tom, the drummer, had um, gone and booked a holiday in Mexico with his uh, with his lady. Yeah, you know, because it's downtime, and then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, this um, tour offer came up in Europe. To, you know, to co-headline with Overkill. Yeah, like twenty shows. I think Gamma Bomb. Yeah, Gamma Bomb were uh, the opener. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so Gary, Gary said um, it was either you or Hoagland, and Hoagland was busy. So he said, you know, can you do this tour? Now, straight away, I mean, you know, Exodus, Bonded by Blood, it's it's one of my favourites of all time. We've spent many you know, evenings listening to that. Getting yeah. So good. yeah. You yeah. know, both of us saying the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And um, so it was a no-brainer. I mean, before he could even finish speaking to me, it was like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And um, so what happened was the first show was in London at the uh, O2 in Islington. Yeah, yeah. So um, they flew in. Um, they flew into the country. We had two days rehearsal at Sneeps and then straight on the tour. 
Um, I also did. I also played for Possessed as well, which yeah, yeah, you know how that went down. Yeah, you know. Um, but I mean, that 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 was a real like stab in the back because you know, you know, you know how much I look possessed. Yeah, yeah. And I spent so long. Seven to, churches on vinyl or fuck off. Yeah, exactly. But I um, I spent so long, like months, learning the set because the, the the production was so shitty on those records and. They're not in time. You can you can hear the you can hear the guitars speeding up to catch the drums. You know. Yeah. So um, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, trying to get the set down and everything. And um, yeah, you know, um, only for Mister Becerra to leave me hanging in Spain. Yeah, yeah. You know, he paid me three hundred and seventy-five euros for eighteen shows, which equates to twenty-three euros a show. <laughs> you know. Goddamn. With no. With no with no sit down, look, Nick. The tour didn't work out as I expected. Here's all the numbers, the figures, blah blah blah. This is what's left, and this is no. He gave the money to the guitarist to give me while him and his father hightailed it to the airport. So, you know, just his behavior. It's like it's that's really not how you treat people. But isn't that mental though? In the last let's say and, years, you have um, you end up playing, you know, helping out Exodus, Nuclear Assault possessed all these kind of people that we you would have grown up listening to in the 1980s that it kind of comes oh, in good, yeah. circle that you end up and the testament thing as well and stuff right yeah yeah well you know i had posters of all these guys on my walls in the yeah. 80s yeah yeah you know i, I looked up to these guys these are yeah, like yeah. my my childhood heroes so you know to to get the opportunity to play for you know, not just one of them, but, you know, a whole bunch of them. Yeah, yeah three, four, right. five of them. So that's what yeah, it's, it's, hell. it's mad when you think about that, right? So this is what I was thinking about yesterday, is that I was thinking to myself, right, Barker's played on probably the two biggest selling black metal records of that second generation, and then also played with a whole hand, like a, like five of the bands that you grew up listening to from the 1980s. Yeah. Not not bad for an old uh, fucking hooligan from Chesterfield, then, is it really? When I know, I know. I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. I mean, my only regret... My only regret is I never got to, like, at least sound check with Slayer or something. I mean that 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 would have been that would have been the cherry on top for me. Yeah, you know, well, you know even, when, even when even when Gary was in the band, you know, if you're like, come on, Barker, get on the kit, let's do Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's a, you know. but all all things considered, you know, this last year has been weird. I'm the same as you. I felt sort of alienated and frustrated and angry and this and the other. But there's been moments where I have actually sat and thought, like, holy fuck, this is 30 years of doing this and look back at all the records that you've made and things you've achieved. It's difficult to kind of put it into context. But knowing you, I knew you'd be feeling the same way I would. So I was thinking about this stuff yesterday, kind of going, um, you know, kind of maybe put some of this stuff into perspective about all of those the things you played on and those kind of bands. And when it all racks up, it's, it's quite, um, it is quite the achievement, you know? They're quite the achievement. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You know, yeah. When you when when I take a step back and look at it, it's like fucking hell. Yeah, wow. It, you know, just some knobhead kid from Chesterfield. I played with with all the all all my heroes from the Bay Area. And, yeah, I you mean, know, it's the, the way I kind of look at it is that um, it's been a kind of an amazing ride. I just wasn't quite ready to get off just yet. You know, yeah. I wanted to get off on my own terms, not be shoved off, like like, exactly. like, like shoved out of a moving car out of the. <laughs> you know? That's yeah. kind of a bit how yeah. it felt. But like I said, I mean, even for a pessimistic uh, bollocks like me, I still 
hold out some hope that um, all of the things that are fueling the, my negativity out of this, like I just being on the screen all the time and I, you know, self-isolation, all that kind of stuff, that that's partly informing my opinion of all of the stuff and that there is another side of it which just wants to get back to normal and that somehow yeah. we can get back to being human beings at some stage, you know? I certainly hope so. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, that, that's what I want. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that the end of the world would be a bit more exciting, that I might be able to, you know, uh, shoot drone, uh, robot drones yeah. out of the bunker or something. <laughs> I thought it'd be a bit more bang for your book, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, or at least see a mushroom cloud on the horizon, you know you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> At least then you know, right, I've got like nine seconds, okay, I'll exactly. wait yeah. for the, yeah. You know, that's the... Uh, yeah, you can listen to you suffer, but why nine times? <laughs> so, right, I'm going to, on that note, sir, resume recording. All right, so let's presume that we're all going to get back to some form of humanity. What, uh, you know, tell us about this Borstal thing that you've been doing. What's that? What's the story with that? Well, I've always been a fan of punk and hardcore since, since the 80s, being a kid, because as you know, yeah. All the bands we used to listen to as a kid, they all wore the Discharge shirts, you know, GBH. Minor threat. And, stuff, yeah. yeah, and, you know, the, the hardcore cr crossover thing, as it was called back then, you know, it was just an expansion of what we listened to. And I've always wanted to do um, a band like that. And like sadly... Uh, slaughter or something, or yeah. ludicrous. Yeah, all of that. You know, Septic Death, Cryptic Slaughter, Minor yeah. Threat, yeah. Well, yeah. Agnostic Front, you know. Yeah spastic blur crumb suckers accused you know poison idea all that stuff and yeah. um, eventually um, a couple of mates from london said they they were into it and jumped on it and it just really happened so quick um we've got an ep um that's going to be out on the april 1st on four family records it's called at her majesty's pleasure oh. <laughs> being the, the borstal thing yeah yeah you know we even put a wing and b wing on the vinyl you know <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. um yeah so i've got that dropping on april 1st and um, the new brewery album is going to be dropping sometime this year yeah uh, we're just wrapping up the vocals on that now yeah and um you know me and you we've talked to Runa and Froda about doing another twilight of the gods record hopefully yeah, yeah. by the end of this year yeah so i look to that yeah yeah so i look forward to seeing you all in south portugal again yeah well that's we have to we have to keep pushing or at least having some line on the horizon to work towards, or else I think we'd all yeah. even more we'd all go even more fucking insane than we're going, you know. And there we go, my friends. There ends the chat with Nicholas Barker. Hope you found it interesting. Certainly was great to talk to the big man once again. All right, episode forty-five of Agitators Anonymous over and out. Hail Planet Satan. See you all soon.